minute past 7 o'clock, and it's time for Iron Sports, 95.9, the true oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Always love getting your ear on a Monday evening. A lot to talk about as we kick off the full slate of NFL uh, preseason games. Not much to be seen. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first, Ira, you are not here, but you will be back in studio next week. Yes, I was. I'm in Stone, New York. I was. I actually went to the Mets Dodgers game. Very exciting Friday night. Uh, it was super hot, Florida type weather. It seemed like for the game, but um, this could be. I'm seeing the sinking of the Mets season at that, and uh, it's amazing that the Dave Roberts, the manager of the Dodgers, has finally found a, a manager in Rojas for the Mets, who who might is like <laughs> might be worse than he is. But <laughs> it's hard to say that. But uh, Mets fans are not happy. I mean. It reminded me of being at the Sixer game when they lost to the Hawks, and they just are like, the the fans start booing the players, and then the other fans are booing the fans for booing the players. Everyone's yelling at each other, and then there were a lot of Dodger fans there, so it was pretty crazy. But it was the largest uh, um, attendance in two years for the Mets. So 40,000 people there uh, on Friday night uh, at, at City Fields. And it's got a great seat, uh, and a client took me to a great game. It was a, it was a great game. So, Ira, you want to, speaking of the Mets spiral, and you know what? I, I almost feel bad for Mets fans. I don't, but I, I almost do. This is like an every-year occurrence, with the exception of, what was it, 2015 when they went to the World Series? Every year, Mets fans in April and May are, we're going, we're, we're going all the way. And then August comes, and they lose 20 games in August, fall out of uh, even making the playoffs, and it's just like a, a repeat cycle. These fans really get their hopes up every year for nothing. Well, I think that the problem with the Mets are they had a five-game five lead uh, three, four weeks ago, and they seem to have that lead. It, it, it appeared like they had the lead almost for, I would say, like two, three months of the first three, two months of the season. And people are saying, well, that should have been instead of while well, Philadelphia and Atlanta are struggling, losing players, losing pitchers, losing all these things, that lead should have been like 10 or 11. So when they had a, a bad stretch of games, then maybe it was, you know, the lead goes down to five. But I think not expanding that lead is a problem. And uh, I think what we saw last night, and then they go Sunday night, so they lose in the 10th innings on Friday, they lose in the 10th innings on Saturday, and then on Sunday, the Dodgers beat them 14-4, to four, and it's like the Mets just gave up on, on that game, and then that's the night baseball. And then I'm listening to, like, Sports Talk Radio, and the announcers are complaining that they didn't like A-Rod yeah. talking about other things during the game. And I'm saying, well, don't lose 14-4. to four. Like, it's not like A-Rod's <laughs> breaking down every single move. When you're, when you're down by 10 runs, he's going to be talking about other things. He's going to talk about Justin Turner or whatever. It just, you know, everyone's all mad at A-Rod. But I just don't be losing 14-4 to four in a game. So I've got some stats on this, though. On July 15th, so a month ago, you know how they, how they do, like, stat cast. They were 76% to win the NL East. Today, they're 17%. Oh. 17% from 76. Epic collapse. And on top of that... They're in the midst of a 13-game set against teams that are all over 600. It's just L.A. and San Fran who they're going to be playing. That happened, hasn't happened since 1980. The Blue Jays went 4-9 and nine, uh, when they had a similar situation. So it's not about to get easier for the Mets here. And uh, with that stacked, uh, stacked next two, three weeks, there's pretty much no way they can pull this off, I don't think. Well, I have a, a, a 
big Mets fan, and he's like, I'll be happy at five and eight. And now I'm like, well, you're going to do better than five. Now they can't even five and eight would mean they're going to have to win almost every game, and they've just lost three of the first. I mean, this is a crazy, the the fact that they're playing the Dodgers and Giants at home, and then they have to go to to play at the Dodgers and the Giants. I mean, just a a crazy quirk in the schedule, and the fact that they're the two best teams in the National League, uh, as you said, first time since 1980. But it is exciting. I mean, again, Met fans tend to be, we we all know these fans, like the Met fans, you you think that they've won like 20 World Series titles. (laughs) in the contention year after year. Like, they are beyond belief. Like, you know, you know, Alfonso is the greatest player of all time. And, like, the players that are just average players on the team are just built up to be so much better. And that, that's, like, the New York aspect of it. And But it's fun. Look, it's passion. You like passionate fans. And it's great. And, and so it was fun, actually, just to see that. For years, uh, it was Ike Davis. And then wait till, uh, wait till Ahmed Rosario gets here. It's like, guys, come on. Give me a break here. Did you happen? To see what Noah Syndergaard said? Uh, Nobody. That's Thor. That's the pitcher for him. And he, the, the biggest, one of the biggest ovations in the game was, you know, he has like the longest, like he looks like Thor. He has like long, long, long blonde hair. He, and he came out before the game started from the bullpen and, and 40,000 fans went crazy just for him to walk from the bullpen <laughs> to the dugout. That was, that was like the entrance music to like the UFC fight or something yeah. like that. <laughs> well, he hasn't played in like two years. He got, he sent out an Instagram or a tweet saying, you know, this is ridiculous that they, that they have to play Sunday night baseball in New York and then have a game in San Fran on Monday. And, you know, that's, they should never do this, blah, blah, blah. And that is rough scheduling how that went, but it is what it is. You haven't played in two years, so maybe if you were on the field, they'd be winning a few more games. It's Iron Sports, True Holdies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. At 7.30, Ron Dugans is going to join us. Tell us about Ron. Um, the wide receiver coach for Florida State. We, college football is just a couple weeks away, and Florida State is opening with Notre Dame at home. So we have a humongous game coming there, and uh, very excited to have Ron on the show. He played uh, at he played at Florida State, played in Cincinnati for the Bengals, and it's been coaching coach to Miami, Florida, coach at Florida State, coach at Louisville. He actually coached when he was at Louisville. Devontae Parker, we know from the Dolphins. Uh, can't wait to have him on and just give a preview. I think Florida State last year just a lot of COVID problems, a lot of COVID issues, but they are so pumped for this year. They have a tough schedule, but I can't wait to talk to them about the Seminoles. We have a lot of Seminole fans in South Florida and uh, just very excited to have him on the show. Yep, and we'll get to Coach Dugans at 7.30. So, Ira, let's talk uh, preseason. And a lot of people don't care much about preseason. You know, most of us are fantasy guys. And we were talking before the show, none of these guys really play. And if they do, they're probably playing with backups and they might be playing against backups. So it's just really hard to gauge what you're getting. But this has been fun because we've got this crop of rookie quarterbacks coming up, including the biggest prospect since Andrew Luck. So it's really something for me that I enjoy watching. No, I think that's the reason. I mean, I I watch the Steelers in preseason and even the defense, you're seeing the starters might, most starters haven't played. Some starters might play one series and that's it. It's hard to get any read of the game at all, even just if you're looking at the players from the defensive perspective. Now, from a fantasy perspective, you're not seeing running backs at all. I mean, Najee Harris played the first game a little for the Steelers. After that, you're probably not going to see much. You're not seeing any running backs at all. So if you're looking at, oh, i gotta, I got to watch fantasy football, i got to watch the preseason fantasy, it's not going to work. The wide receivers aren't playing. Uh, so you're really not getting any input or knowledge. It really is these 
players, like when we hear Jordan Love, Jordan Love, Jordan Love, and the names come are Trey Lance, Trey Lance. Trey Lance hasn't played, what, is like 500 days? He hasn't played a full game 140 days. Like, these are just to see, we talk about them constantly. And if Jordan Love this year, we're probably not going to see him till unless something happens to Rodgers, not till next year. So this is the only time you get to see Jordan Love. So you're intrigued by this. And like some of these just fans, I'm looking at the Haskins situation and Dwayne Haskins, who they signed for the Redskins, uh, how, uh, the Washington football team, and seeing what how he plays for the Steelers. And that's what you're sort of looking for, these quarterbacks. And it is fun to watch, like, on the NFL Network. They, they replay all these games, but in quick time. Like, you can watch an entire game in an hour, and that's fun to watch because you've got to catch up a bunch of games and just watch them for an hour and then sort of get a feel for what's happening in these games. Oh, I, I love the replays on NFL Network during the week. Yeah, you watch the game in 40 minutes. It's, it's great. Let's, uh, let's start with Pats in Washington. This one, very intriguing uh, because the Patriots have a new quarterback in Mac Jones. And this is one of the, you know, like we know Trey, uh, Trevor Lawrence is starting week one. We know Zach Wilson is. We don't know what's going on with the other three. And Cam Newton might hold off Mac Jones for a while. And that's why this game is intriguing to me. I think Mac Jones came. I thought Mac Jones looked great. Mac Jones is the star quarterback from Alabama. I think he looked. I think he looked what I expected. He didn't look scared. Look, I missed a couple throws. He was thirteen of nineteen for eighty-seven yards. But I would be shocked if Cam Newton doesn't start the season. I mean, I think we're looking at at a Drew Bledsoe, Tom Brady situation even yeah. with the Patriots in terms of uh, Bill Belichick had Cam Newton last year. Knows the offense. He's going to have Cam's. I think he's going to have Cam start, and and it takes pressure off Mac Jones. And and if Cam, and Cam Newton gets hurt a lot. So I think the situation is, I don't think he's going to ever pull Cam Newton. I think Cam Newton's just going to get injured one game. Matt Jones is going to step in, and just like Drew Bledsoe did. And I think that's what's going to happen. I would be shocked if Matt Jones started this year. But I think if you're a Patriot fan, you're like, he looked good. Like, he did? He looked, like he looked better than a lot of people thought he would look. No, he, he, he did what, what Matt Jones is advertised to do, I think. He made accurate passes from the pocket. I do think that... Cam's leash is as short as ever. And, I mean, you you remember, Ira, last year he had some games where he was like 8 for 16 for 80 yards. I mean, you know, granted, he'd rush for 150, but they just spent more money in this offseason than they probably have in the last decade in free agency. Brought in Nelson Aguilar, Johnny, uh, Johnny Smith, um, Hunter Henry. They're looking to win. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised if that leash is super short on Cam. Might be, but I I just think they start with Cam. But yeah. it was that was what that and the fact that both played. I mean, that's Cam Newton played in the game. He threw seven passes, and we have. I mean, Patrick Mahomes actually threw two passes in a preseason game. I, I missed the two passes he threw, so it's you know Aaron Rodgers is not going to play any preseason. Uh, but Ben didn't. Ben Roethlisberger hasn't played. Most of these starting quarterbacks aren't. So Cam Newton was in there, did play, and uh, but it, that's just the, that from the from the perspective of of. You know what of those two quarterbacks? I think the feeling is wow. So we do have Mac Jones is is someone who they could definitely turn to, and you could see as a starting quarterback for the Patriots by the end of the season. Let's talk about your Pittsburgh Steelers and the Eagles, and um, this is one where you guys have the weird this weird like little competition for this second and third starting quarterbacks, and I don't know how this is going to shake out. Well. I think from the Eagles' perspective, if their defense, I mean, the Eagles look terrible. I mean, the Steelers were 29 for 37, 258 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Um, Mason Rudolph, he was like, I had a bad game, he was 8 for 9, 77 yards. I mean, I think Haskins, I think the biggest surprise is we saw Dwayne Haskins for Washington. He looked lost, looked confused. 
But I think a lot of people thought if he went to Mike Tomlin, their agent, Mike Tomlin's agent and Haskins' agent are the same. Mike Tomlin has known Haskins for a while. I think they grew, he grew up and went to the same high school where Tomlin went to. So they've known each other. And I think this has been great. I, I, Haskins looks slid down. Looks like he's making smart passes. There were a couple of passes where I think if he was throwing to against a better defense, they would have been intercepted. But this is now two games back-to-back. I thought Haskins played well. and Rudolph played a better game. But clearly, you're looking at this as who's the number two quarterback. And also, if something happens to Ben because he's so old and fragile and could get injured and those things, and might not play next year. Who Could Haskins be the quarterback for next year? So that's really what I'm looking for. And Josh Dobbs threw an interception but still uh, still played okay. Uh, from that from perspective, the Steelers are between uh, – you know, the question is, can Haskins – I think Haskins has a number two locked up. I, I just cannot see Rudolph as a number two. And would they get rid of Rudolph then and bring Dobbs in as maybe the number, as the number three quarterback and, and maybe trade uh, Mason Rudolph and get some value for him? Let's talk about um, Finns and Bears. This is one I was really looking forward to. I, I, I've said on this show, I think that – Tua takes a big step forward this year, and I know that there's a lot of people doubting him. Um, so I want to see him, and Justin Fields is very intriguing too. I think he's going to have a, a pretty good career. I've got, I'm high on Fields. They both look decent, save for one uh, pretty bad Tua interception. Yeah, and that's a bad – it was a bad interception. You can't really have that. And um, Now, Jacoby Brissett is the backup quarterback, and Jacoby Brissett has you know, started for the Colts, has some uh, reps, was in New England. So it, uh, But Tua played – Look, two is gonna. People are, there's a lot of pressure on Tua this year to, to make that improvement. It's hard to say anything in the preseason because, of course, his wide receivers aren't there. Kisaki's playing. Uh, Lynn Bowden, who I told you I, I met, I knew from Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, last year, he was traded from the from the Raiders uh, to Raiders to Miami or in preseason, really. But I think I said last year I think Lynn's gonna have some big games. I mean, you see him just they they move him around. He can play quarterback really. He can do anything on the field. Run the ball, quarterback, wide receiver. He had four catches, forty-seven yards. Uh, but the story was Justin Fields, uh, the, the, probably the most impressive rookie performance. I mean, fourteen for twenty, one hundred forty-two yards, a touchdown, and people were just you know blown away by wow. I mean, this could be this could be the pick. I mean, the Bears finally got a quarterback, and for the first time in in a million years, uh, people maybe the expectations are far too great i mean for one preseason game but i think people were very very happy with how fields performed so let's talk about the panthers and the colts and this one to me was very intriguing and it was because when are you going to get an opportunity like jacob east is going to get now you know as long as they don't uh the colts don't bring in anybody for to replace carson wentz who's probably going to miss the beginning of the season jacob Eason wouldn't have gotten a shot here and he might get you know he might be the opening day starter he's got a lot riding on his shoulders and then sam darnold coming in and time to shake off the jets uh sam El- sam El- El- Eltenberg. no, no <laughs> oh, but darnold for the team Panthers, yeah sam Eltenberger in texas they had two they have two the colts had Two, uh, one rookie and one second-year player, but sort of a rookie in Eason. I mean, Eason was the pick two years ago in fourth round. Sam Altenberger was from Texas, was a Texas quarterback, uh, was a sixth-round pick, and he was 10 for 1,555 yards. Why we're talking about the Colts is this. Is the Carson Wentz was traded. He's their quarterback. But Carson Wentz, as we know, is extremely injury-prone. But why are we still interested in the Colts? Because their team is loaded. They have a great, great defense. They have a great offensive line. They have running backs and Taylor and Mack. I mean, they, they are they are set. They're wide receivers. This team is missing everything but a quarterback. That's why they brought traded for Carson Wentz. And think, but, but if Carson Wentz does get hurt, their backup quarterback is the quarterback that might lead them. You know, they, they could have this big upset over the Kansas City teams or whatever. I mean, they could be a, still a factor. So I think people from I have friends who are Colts fans, they were like 
so impressed with Easton, so impressed with Ezinger. They're like, wow, if Carson Wentz just cannot stay healthy, which he's already heard not playing and might make week one or not, we still can win games. We still could be the special team when we have every other piece in place, it seems like. Well, it's funny you say that about the Colts because a lot of people in Denver would say the same thing. Like, this roster is pretty good, and we've just been missing that quarterback basically since we had a hobbled Peyton Manning. They've been waiting for Drew Locke. This is his third year, so maybe Drew Locke makes it this year. I mean, he was a star in Missouri. Maybe he, you know, his five or seven, her 51 yards, two touchdowns. I think the question is with Minnesota, their defense was terrible. I watched part of that game. Again, reserves, you can't really read so much into it, but Minnesota defense was really good last year. So your question is what happens. But, but no, this is an important year for Locke. And, and again, this is one of those other teams that, like, you're, they're missing. They have every piece but that quarterback. You're exactly correct. And could these quarterbacks who have been in the league for a couple years – step up and, and suddenly, wow, I mean, Drew Locke is now going to be emerged as this great quarterback. It's really, it's, it's almost, this is the year. I mean, either this year or it's not going to happen. So I think a lot of quarterbacks like him are, are on that, on that uh, the pressure to come through. But uh, if I'm a Minnesota fan, I'm nervous, even with the reserves. I mean, their defense was just, it would look like uh, they, were, they were playing like a high school football team. Uh, Denver, Denver does not have this great offense is moving up and down the field. Well, that Minnesota, in like my lifetime, never doesn't have a good defense. And they were great two years ago. And then last year, just middle of the road, it would be the nice thing to say about them. And it's only going down from there. So it might be a rough uh, might be a rough year in Minnesota. Cleveland and Jacksonville, a lot of eyes on this one for good reason. Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, and that's, I mean, did not disappoint. I mean, again, Urban Meyer's not willing to say that he's going to be the starting quarterback over Gabe Minshew. Uh, stays in still an open competition. But Lawrence looked... I would have liked to see him stay in more in the game. I didn't play what quarter and a half, or it seemed like he played. Um, I, again, some of these quarterbacks, I think it's like I want to see more. I, I think these young quarterbacks, like give them more reps, just get them in the game, get them playing. Um, I don't know why they get pulled so much. I, I, I like a Jordan Love. I think he should play the entire game. Like now he's hurt, but he couldn't play. But again, I think some of these younger quarterbacks, I, I would, I think they try to play like three or four quarterbacks. I don't know if you need to play four. I think, I think maybe just play two at most. Um, in these preseason games. Remember, there's only three of them. But uh, it's exciting to see what Jacksonville has in terms of, of Urban Meyer. I, again, he was he's complaining. I saw him today complaining that he wants to run all these crazy plays, and then, like, they're told you have to keep everything simple. It's just preseason. And he's like, I can't wait to see Jacksonville this year. They, you're going to see something. It's going to be exciting. That's why they drafted Travis Etienne at, at running back. I mean, you're going to see him lying up. I think I think Urban Meyer is just so pumped to try to, to put this excitement back into Jacksonville football. And, and, and some offensive excitement. Well, it's funny. They said that Jacksonville was uh, – Jacksonville, I think, had, was like the 26th pick uh, with that second one. They wanted Kadarius Toney from, from Florida, who the Giants selected, because he's kind of one of these gadgety guys. He can do a little bit of everything, line up anywhere. So that's what they're saying for Etienne this year. might be a good fantasy uh, scoop on Etienne. So this should be exciting. I mean, I think you're right that – they're going to try to make this fun. They, they want to be a watchable team that people are like, oh, man, the Jags, we got to see what, what they're up to. What do you think of Tim Tebow out there? Well, look, it's, I, it's, it's hard. You know, the problem I have, like I go to so many NFL games, so it's hard when you watch and you see him perform. It, it's hard because you can't, like when he goes down the field, I'm not watching. Is he open? Is he not open? Is he blocking? Like the field, I hate, I guess in football, I like to see more wide angle shots. I want to see the whole field. Because when I go to a game, that's what I see. So it's hard sometimes to see that. It's hard to, and it's like on defense, it's hard to assess like cornerbacks and safeties. I don't know if they're burned or not because I'm not, that's not in the action. <laughs> they're only showing the quarterback. 
So it's hard. I, I can't comment on how Tebow because it's hard to watch him. Some of few plays seem like he's blocking okay. So speaking of fantasy, by the way, Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, FSU's wide receiver coach Ron Dugans joins us in 10 minutes. Um, speaking of fantasy, so there's not a lot to look for, but I happen to be in a two-quarterback keeper league. So, of course, all these quarterbacks I've got to be paying attention to. And one that I've got my eye on, Ira, is Trey Lance of San Francisco. I think Kyle Shanahan's going to try to get him into the action sooner rather than later. And I think he could be really good in the right scenario. Well, remember, we had Trey's high school quarterback coach from Minnesota on our show a few months ago talking about how special he is as a player. Uh, Jimmy G, I, I don't know. I'm I'm not so – I think, again, I think Jimmy G's the quarterback. I think they started him, but – I he, it was Trey Lance was five for fourteen. He missed some passes, but he did throw an eighty-yard touchdown pass. And someone said, "This is what the comment about it was." Someone's interesting. They said the why the receiver was I forget who it was, but it was wide open, so it was an easy pass, and he didn't even throw the perfect pass, but it was completed. But what did we saw in the Super Bowl? The Forty ers would have been the champions if Jimmy G would have <laughs> completed that, you know, to uh, to the Sanders and Emmanuel Sanders in the you know in the end zone. That would have been they would have been the Super Bowl champions. So the point is that just because someone's wide open and they have an eighty yard pass, still he completed the pass. I think that was great. <laughs> um, let's talk about Houston and Green Bay. A lot of controversy here. As everyone wants to see Jordan Love. Yeah, you want to see Jordan Love. I- I don't wasn't again. I think we're seeing the same thing. It was it was like uh, you know no one knows. It's twelve for seventeen hundred twenty two yards, and then he gets hurt. You know, plays one game, might not practice this week. That's what you're looking for. Um, I don't I don't know. I mean, Davis Mills of Houston looked I thought better than from Stanford looked better than Jordan Love out there. Uh, there's a I, I think we're seeing. Look, Jordan Love wasn't terrible when we're. But again, it, it's hard to say. Like who's getting criticized as a quarterback position? Like they played horrendous. They played horrendous in, in the pre in the preseason, but. I think the big story is that Jordan Love got hurt and now is going to miss this valuable time because this is what they need. Like, this is his season. Jordan Love's season is this month because Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be gone next year unless something major happens. So this is when he has to, to, to perform, and now he's hurt, going to be out a week or two. So that's the problem. Let's talk about the Saints here. Um, they played Baltimore. This is very intriguing to me because I would think that it's just Jameis Winston's job to start – you know, for the for the New, the New Orleans Saints with the departure of Drew Brees. But Taysom Hill's getting a lot of talk, and, and of course, they're not saying anything. I, I think it's Jameis Winston's job. And I think what they're going to use Taysom Hill like they used him last year. I think it's going to be the same thing. I think he's, Taysom Hill's going to take snaps. I think he's going to be the same thing. I think it's going to be Jameis Winston 70% of the time, Taysom Hill 30%. Considering that they did it with Drew Brees, and they brought Taysom Hill in for a lot of snaps last year, it's going to be hard for Jameis. You know, usually we say, oh, if you, have, if you substitute a quarterback, it's bad. But if they brought Taysom Hill in and sat Drew Brees last year in the middle like for certain plays, there's no way Jameis Winston is going to complain about that. So I think the fact that Taysom Hill was used that way, I think he's going to be used the same way. I think they're going to start with Jameis Winston, and I think that they bring in Hill uh, for certain packages and how they're going to run him and use Hill just like they did last year. I, I, I think that's how I see it, though. Did you happen to see um, any of the Giants and Jets game? It, this Giants team scaring me, Ira. The, the offensive line did not look good at all. They were getting beat on both sides of the ball by a Jets team that I think should win two or three games. So I was a little bit worried on that front. Didn't know if you saw that one. Well, I, I did not watch the game, but you, you hear a lot of the, 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 definitely the concerns for the Giants is that from the training camp, the fights they're having, it seems like there's some disorganized at camp, some players. And you might have seen that maybe last year when, when he was named the coach, but I mean, to, to carry over to this year, uh, if Judge is having issues with that. But uh, uh, 
I, I, look, people aren't sold on Daniel Jones as a quarterback. I don't know if Barkley's going to come back healthy. There's a lot of if, if, if defense and some players are missing. The Giants have a lot of ifs. And I, that's why I like Washington in that division. I like, I've said everyone, I, I don't like Philadelphia and I don't like the Philly's Giants. Bad. I like Washington and I like Dallas. Those are the two teams I like in the East. No, yeah, you're absolutely right. Washington plays real defense. That, that, that's what that's what they have going for them. The Cowboys don't play any defense, but they can score 40 points a night. That, yeah, it, it, it's a two team division uh, as far as I'm concerned, as long as the uh, offensive line in, in New York doesn't get their act together. 724, Ira on sports, true oldies channel. Let's talk about a little bit of baseball before we get to uh, Ron Dugans of FSU. So you were at the uh, Dodgers-Mets game on uh, Friday night, and this is one where it was kind of the beginning of a bad weekend for the Mets. Yeah, well, I mean, it was what the Mets did, what the Dodgers did was they got they all they found a way to get a the runner at third base four times and was able to get four. Uh, wait, they got a three three sacrifice flies. I don't think I've ever seen three straight sacrifice no. flies for a runner on third base. So, so it didn't look like they had more hits than the Mets, but they're actually able to get you know just runners in scoring position and advance him. Whereas the Mets were having the problems. Urias pitched great for the Dodgers. McGill. Uh, pitched pretty good for the Mets too, uh, but it was like I think the key is that Urias was pitching well and it's 80 pitches, and there's Roberts taking him out of the game and bringing Gatterall in the game. They're great reliever. Oh, he was throwing 102, 101, and Conforto for the Mets gets a hit, uh, and then they take him out of the game, and then they brought in uh, McClure. I think it was McClure. They brought him in, uh, and uh, Brule, Brule. They brought Brule, a rookie in. And what does he do? He gives a four run. So, I mean, this is a game that's four nothing. Dodgers are cruising on. Roberts just, like, if Roberts went and just said, I have to leave, I'm sorry, I'll come back, like, the Dodgers would have won the game. But he still has to just make these moves, make these moves. The Dodgers in extra inning games, I think, are like two and 12. They're one of the worst records in baseball because he uses so many pitchers during the game. They have nothing left at the end because he wants to continue to make moves. Uh, they brought in. Jansen uh, in the ninth inning, I could not believe when the score was tied 4-4, and uh, he got just an easy inning. And then when they brought in the tenth inning, Will Smith, who's one of the clutchest hitters for the Dodgers, it's a two-run home run. Uh, They go up 6-4 off off Familia, and then they brought Jansen back. So when you see a closer do a two-inning save in the regular season, he comes back, makes it interesting, gives up a run, but still gets the save in that. But uh, just a... I guess from the Mets' perspective, it's like difficult because they just could have. They got to the score tied 4-4 and just felt like Dodgers were going to lose the game, and the Dodgers ended up winning. Ira, I absolutely hate when managers use closers in situations they're not used to, like pitching two innings or coming in with you know bases loaded in the eighth to try to get out of that, or moving guys that are not used to closing into those high-leverage situations. It always seems to fail, and it looked like Dave Roberts was trying to pull it off. <laughs> it did. I mean, Jansen was able to get that out. I know Dodger fans were like, I was with a Dodger fan, and they were like, it's over. Like, they, <laughs> you almost expected, I totally expected Dodgers lose the game. But then Familia came in and then gave up the run, and, and that was a mess. And then Saturday night, Bueller and Walker, and that, and it was like a very – Conforto for the Mets hits a home run. Smith hits a home run to tie. Smith loves playing at City Field. And then Bellinger, who has played terrible. I mean, he's hitting like 160, and he hits a double to win the game. So, uh, but and then Sunday, of course, was the blowout. But it was like it was one of those series where again we talked about at the beginning of the show. The Mets needed to get, at least win a game and to lose two extra inning games, and then lose. And then they complain they don't have Degrom. Degrom's not going to be back for another two weeks. I, again, the Mets keep saying, "Oh, we didn't have injuries to the pitchers." Tell me a year the Mets have not had injuries to the pitchers. They always have. It's it's like they always have injuries to the pitchers. I can't remember any year they'd have had injuries. And what, what's kind of funny is that they let Zach Wheeler go. 
and Zach Wheeler's having a career year for Philadelphia. They could really use his arm right about now, and it just it is more bad decision making from that front office that just seems to not be able to do that extra step to get over the hump. Yeah, and and the Dodgers bringing Trey Turner in looks fantastic, and Scherzer who won who won on Saturday uh, in a lineup that was totally stacked is added with more. I mean, they have Justin Turner was out and then came back at third base. Shortstop Seager, who's now they're healthy. I mean, the only player they're missing now is 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 really Betts, who they said is a as a hip uh, something with his hip, uh, and uh, that hopefully he'll be healthy because if he's on that lineup, I mean, they're just a bad right field. They started this McKinsey, who's a rookie, and he, his team is terrible. But when you have Bueller and Scherzer and Urias and Price and Kershaw, uh, it's it's a, this team's loaded and they're great. And, and still, it's amazing the Giants are four games ahead of them. Yeah, let's talk about, um, you know, we just got a minute or so until we get uh, Coach Ron Dugans here on the line. How is uh, some of the standings looking? Because it's it's crunch time, man. There's not much baseball left to play. It's time to make a move if, if you've got a shot. Well, like, the Mets are now, like, almost at 500. The Braves have taken the lead by what, one and a half over the Phils, and the Mets are two and a half back. And, you, and you're looking, you're like, there's, I just don't see, there's no one way any of those teams are going to wild card. You win the division, and that's it. And the Dodgers are four back against the, of the Giants, and the Brewers are four over the Reds. But there's a situation with the Padres. The Padres have played terrible, but they're still ahead of the Reds by a couple games. Uh, and now they got Tatis Jr. back with two home runs last night. And the Cardinals have finally started playing good baseball. I mean, everyone's waiting for the Cardinals to, to fire. The, the Cardinals remind me a little of the Nationals a couple years ago. Remember the Nationals were like, you know, totally out of it and came on and won the World Series. It's like the Cardinals now are sitting like that. They're at 61 wins. They're still six games back of the wild card. But suddenly they're hot. They have great players. We see them in spring training all the time. Maybe the Cardinals are the, are the Nationals of two years ago and somehow pulled this off. I mean, Wainwright pitching shutout, complete games at 39 years old, and we don't know about that. But that, uh, uh, So that's the interesting thing. Or I mean, I expect the Padres to hold them off and play. I mean, if you had a one-game playoff for the wild card between the Dodgers and Padres, woof. But I, I still think the Dodgers catch the Giants. I think that one-game playoff will be between the Giants and the Padres. Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, and Mike Balsamer. We uh, don't have Coach Dugans yet. Hopefully we'll have him on um, in just a minute. But I, I think one team that really slips through the cracks here that we haven't been talking about or the, the media hasn't been talking about, we have because you were there, is the Milwaukee Brewers. This team is a really, really good baseball team, maybe because it's a small city and maybe because they don't have a lot of well-known players. They win. They've been winning at a, a very solid clip. They're beating up their own division, and they pretty much run away with this already. They, with the Reds eight games back, and like you said, St. Louis ten games back. But I'm not going to be surprised if Milwaukee comes in and knocks out one of these NL West teams in the playoffs. Right. No, I mean totally. I agree. I mean the the Brewers. I went to two games down there. They were they were they were they they played great. So I, I don't. I think you're and the way they use their bullpen and they're smart with that and have so many different pitchers. Uh, that is just the depth of their team. I think is about is you know what makes them special. Yeah, and that, that Josh Hader has been the best closer in baseball this year too, which doesn't not doesn't hurt. So let's go on. We'll talk about the Field of Dreams game, Ira. And this is something that baseball to me is so rigid. And they don't take chances. And you know exactly what you're going to get from – it's like it's like your old relative that wears the same sweater every year to Thanksgiving. This Field of Dreams game was something totally different. And they, in my opinion, knocked it out of the park. I thought the production was fantastic. I was just totally blown away. <laughs> you know when I'm not at a game and everyone's giving me – you know, <laughs> everyone's telling me that I should be at that game. I mean, Davenport, Iowa is a really – 
place to get to. And it was a regular season. It was the highest rated regular season game in uh, 10 years, 12 years, they said. Um, absolutely. If they don't do this every year, the Major League Baseball, I mean, they should have played the whole series there. Like, I was shocked that they went to Comiskey for, because it was, it was just perfect. Now, remember, they used the field next to the field of Dreams Field. So they created their own field with 8,000 seats, but then they have the corn stalks and the outfield, not enough seats there. And the views, like, and they went from the night, from the day to the night. And, and then have the players walk out through the corn stalks when the game started. Have Kevin Costner come out through the corn stalks. They're wearing the uniforms like they did in the movie. Uh, as I said, I don't like the movie. <laughs> I, I, it's not one of my favorite movies at all. But I just, it was so cool. And it just seemed great. I mean, it's like the stalks. You really felt like you were back in the 1900s, early 1900s, watching this game because it was just such a, and, and just the setting. I, I thought this was, this was like when the NHL goes and does the, the outside stadiums but this is one of the best they have played at Williamsport Little League Baseball the Pirates played the Phillies in uh in, in Williamsport in a Little League game thought that was nice this was so much better like they this has to be done every single year it, I could not believe how well it came off it looked great now the weird thing about it though I don't think the game was that great for the whole game but the views were great and then it had of course the classic ninth inning so the fact is the game itself sort of like dragged the White Sox got that lead and like oh the Yanks gonna lose this game but it uh uh but it was like but I thought the ninth inning of course was epic can I tell you about um this <laughs> I've never made a live bet in my life before and live betting is a thing that's gotten popular now where you can bet and the odds change based on what's happening so there's the Yankees are down four runs in the sixth inning and I look, and it's paying plus one thousand seventy-five. So I'm like, if I bet ten bucks, I can win one hundred and seven if the Yankees come back. And what do they do? Take the lead in the top of the ninth, only to give it up on a walk-off. It was like the most back-breaking bet I've ever played, Cyrus. It crushed me. Yeah, I mean that was. First of all, it's weird. You know, I forgot that Kimbrel was on the white. So Kimbrel comes in, who's one of the best closers in baseball, comes in, he pitches the eighth inning. Yeah. And shuts the Yankees down in the eighth. And then Hendricks, who's probably the best closer in baseball, comes in and he has a three-run lead, and he gives he gives up a two-run home run to Judge. And then you're like, ah, oh, wow, just a two-run home run. And then Stanton comes in and hits another home run. But that was Judge's second home run of the game. Yeah. And then Stanton comes in and hits a home run, makes it eight-seven. And then for Britton to come at the end and give that up, it's just like another home run at the end of the game uh, to, to, to Anderson. Tim Anderson hits a two-run home run to make it 8-7. But that was what's so exciting. That, that people talk about how this game was so great. It really wasn't. It sort of dragged when it was 7-3 for like the last three, four innings. And then it was like 7-4. But that ninth inning was, was, was epic. Tim Anderson cemented himself in baseball history. With that home run. I mean, it's you're, you're an icon now. Nobody's ever going to forget that you hit that walk-off in the Field of Dreams game. So, cool for him. Cost me some money. Did you happen to see something happened that's only happened three times in history? Well, this was the third time it's ever happened, Ira. A rookie pitched a no-hit. Not a rookie, but a, a, a player in his first ever Major League Baseball start threw a no-hitter. <laughs> Tyler Gilbert from Arizona. And it wasn't against Baltimore or some team like that. It was against the San Diego Padres. That is just amazing. Yeah, I mean that I I heard that I'm like, is can you imagine your first game throwing no hitter? I, it's just, it just boggles the mind. I mean, there's pitchers that pitch like 300 starts don't throw no hitters. Your first game you throw no hitter. I mean, it's all downhill after that. I mean, it's like crazy. And that was actually the um, 15th uh, no hitter of the season, breaking the single season record for uh, no hitters in a season. Just just goes to show the landscape of baseball changing a little bit with these guys swinging at everything, going for the fences. It's 7:35. Ira on Sports True Oldies Channel. 
Let's talk about the wind, Amira. And we were both really high on Webb Simpson for good reason, and he came up just a bit short, but this was a good golf tournament. Well, just a, a, a note here right now. I just got an email from the Florida State office. Hit, Ron's going to come on at 740, so okay. we're going to get him in five minutes, just so you know. But uh, uh, just <laughs> going through, I'm so excited. To, to, they were just, I guess, Florida, you know, look, when you're playing Notre Dame, your first game of the season, you've got to be putting those extra hours in the night <laughs> to get ready for that game. So. <laughs> um, but, you know, the Wyndham was interesting because Webb Simpson, it's, now we're going to get the FedEx playoffs. You have the New Jersey, then they go to Baltimore, and they go to Atlanta. So they, the playoffs. So no one, most pro golfers do not play three tournaments in a row. Nobody plays four tournaments in a row. So you have to play four tournaments in a row. And so none of the top golfers enter the, the, enter the Wyndham. And I looked at, I look at this, and Webb Simpson's name, Webb Simpson's named his daughter Wyndham. He won the <laughs> tournament 11 years ago and named his daughter. And since he won it, he's finished second, second, third, second, 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 third. <laughs> so it's hard to see some player that had a better run. I'm like I told everyone, like, go bet this tournament. Like I told you, I'm like, this is unbelievable. And he's in – so Russell Henley, who, who Russell Henley's great. We've seen him at the Honda Classic a lot. But he has this huge lead, like, the, after the first round, the second round, the third round. I'm like, but Russell Henley's always good for, like, one bad round. And I said, yeah. Don't worry about Henley. It's going to be somebody else, like Adam Scott's going to come up or whatever. But then on Saturday, Simpson had – he's played there. 11 years, he's never had a triple bogey. And it's not like one double bogey the whole time until he hits a triple bogey. If he just made it a bogey, he would have won the tournament. No, absolutely. I mean, he he plays you know I'm just I'm watching him because you brought this up to me I would have never known this and then when I logged on I did place a small wager on him uh, he was the favorite and I'm like I've never seen Webb Simpson be the favorite in a tournament then you came out with those stats and I'm thinking this guy's really re- something about his eye for this course is phenomenal and he was so good so good on Thursday so good on Friday Sunday he was great too made up a ton of strokes it was just one couple of bad holes on Saturday, and that's all it takes to lose these golf tournaments. He finished one stroke back of the leaders who went to a six-man uh, playoff. But, yeah, like you said, even just making a single bogey, he wins that golf tournament. And he makes a single bogey, he wins. He makes a double bogey, he's tied, and he'll be in a seven-way playoff. And I think he'd be by far the favorite in that seven-way playoff to go to go forward with it. It's just, ugh, I felt bad for it. It just... It's just again now he's in his seventh. It's like one of his worst finishes in the last six years, and it was one stroke off the lead. <laughs> Crazy how that works out. Let's talk about the uh, well. You know, it's funny. I I placed a bet on our friend Jim Herman too. Jim Herman, uh, professional golfer, he's been on our show a few times. He was the reigning champ here. He won last year, and he needed to win. Well, he needed a second place to make the FedEx Cup. He was plus fifteen thousand. <laughs> I took a shot on Jim Herman. He unfortunately didn't make the cut. Speaking of the FedEx uh, playoffs, tell us a little bit about how this works. Who's in? Who's out? Well, remember they start the Northern Trust, and that's going to be in uh, in, Jer- in Jersey City at Liberty National, and then they move to Baltimore, and they cut the field down. So this is a full full tournament, the first, and then it's cut down for the second one, which is next week, and then only the top thirty make the Tour Championships in Atlanta for the FedEx Champion. Remember they reseed. So what they do is they 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 figured out for the Tour Championships, whatever your lead on the FedEx points are with how it adds up. That's how you're going to start. So, it's, so a player is going to start like I think it was like ten under or six under or whatever. You start with a with a with an advantage. So the winner it used to be you could like win the tour championship, you win the tour championship tournament, but win the FedEx Cup playoff. That one year that Tiger won. Remember the year Tiger won the tour championship. He didn't win the FedEx playoff. 
think Justin Rose won it that year because he won. It was just the total points, and but nobody remembers that. They just remember the Tiger won the Tour Championships. But uh, so for the Northern Trust this week, Rom is the he- again a heavy favorite, ten to one. Uh, Dustin Johnson sixteen to one, Spieth sixteen to one, Morikawa eighteen to one, Shoffley won the gold medal eight uh, twenty to one, Brooks Kepka twenty to one. Rory twenty-two to one, Justin Thomas twenty-five to one, Bryson. Bryson's odds go from everywhere. I mean, now he's twenty-five to one. I mean, sometimes he's like eight to one or nine to one. Now he's twenty-five to one. And then Daniel Berger, who a lot of people are liking, he's now finished. He's twenty-eight to one. He's finished inside the top ten in three of the last four starts, and uh, and he's like ranks in terms of greens and regulation and birdie average and scoring average and stroke chain. Everything is really high. He's remember he was hurt for a couple of years, had a wrist injury, uh, but he's playing well now. A lot of People like him at twenty-eight to one. I sort of I, I cannot bet against Brooks Kepka at twenty to one. You get me Brooks Kepka at twenty to one at anything. I'm taking Brooks Kepka at twenty to one at, at, a, at a tournament. I just I feel Phil Mickelson's a hundred to one. So, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but but I, I I like Brooks in this tournament. So that's why I'm Brooks and, and Berger because I, I I think the the numbers look to say that Berger would do well. It's seven forty. This is Ira on Sports on the True Oldies Channel. It's time to bring in Florida State wide receiver coach Ron Dugans. Coach, thank you so much for joining us here. Yes, sir. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ron, for coming on. Uh, I know you guys are working really hard getting ready for this season, and, and you know you start out the first week of the, of the season. You didn't. You didn't. Everyone criticizes people with scheduling. No one's going to say anything about Florida State this year. Your first game is Notre Dame. <laughs> yeah, we, our first game was starting off with Notre Dame. A really, really good uh, football team. You know good tradition and um you know we're looking forward to it excited about it you know but right now the focus is on us but you know we're definitely excited to, to have a chance to play in a game like that so last year was just a mess i mean you guys just had to deal with covid and with this and that and and all those issues how does it feel to have i know things aren't normal but to go back and just have practice spring you know just get get just it seems like more you're gonna have fans at the stadium and, and, and just go how does it feel like that you're gonna play a regular schedule just to get back to that and, and sort of like just put last year you know in the rearview mirror you know just, just to you know get the opportunity to be back to you know as close as normal as we can be you know it does feel good you know to uh you know finally you know get a chance to just you know consistently be on be hands-on with you guys you know, getting an opportunity to work with them and not necessarily be on Zoom meetings all the time but with you guys, you know, just see them sitting up in chairs, you know, taking notes and asking questions, you know, those different things, getting an opportunity to do that. Um, and then, you know, leading up to the uh, to the season, you know, they just, you know, heck, I'm home, man, you know, to, to be in Tallahassee and uh, to be in Dope Campbell, you know, once again with, a, you know, full capacity, you know, definitely looking forward to that and um, we're definitely excited about it, man. So just, you know, as you're working, you know, do you know you got the opportunity to that uh, is getting closer and closer to have an opportunity to, to things to be back to close as normal as it can be, and um, that that just that alone is very exciting to uh, a lot of a lot of young men. Now you're the you're the wide receiver coach at Florida State, but you've been South Florida, Louisville, Miami, uh, Georgia Southern. You've been a wide receiver. You were a wide receiver for the Seminoles, and then you went to. Uh, Cincinnati. You coached Devontae Parker. We know him from the Dolphins down at Louisville. So you've really worked with a lot of 
a great wide receivers in your time in terms of development of the wide receivers. And, and I guess, I guess, what do you see? And I, I've always were intrigued. You know, we love to play fantasy football and we always talk about improvement, but what do you do as a wide receiver coach to get these players that come from a high school game that might not throw so much or whatever to get, to get them to improve? Like what, what do you see from a wide receiver perspective that you see these improvements from maybe a player caught two passes one year, but the next year he catches 30 or something like that? Well, I mean, you look at the skill set, you know, and I mean, you do have, you know, you do have some young men that just kind of, you know, possibility of, you know, a few things, you know, maybe the offense that, that the, uh, the high school runs is maybe not a, a passing offense, you know, and, and then another thing, the kid could be playing, you know, out of position, you know, you'll get a chance to see him possibly uh, at, at camp or at workouts or seven on seven and stuff like that. So you, you look at the skill set and the potential what the kid could be and not to where he is at that exact time. You know, the short area quickness, you know, the long speed, you know, change direction, the ball skills. You know, what does the kid do when he's got the ball in his hand and when he doesn't have the ball in his hand? You know, and you see that and you know, you know, start from scratch. You know, you got to start over when you do get a young man um, and not assume that the young man knows a lot of different things coming from high school, you know, so. Once you see that and you know you get a kid, once you get a chance to know the kid himself and know he's got great character and knowing the kid's got great work ethic and he loves football, I mean, that alone in itself, the young man loves football and he's got some type of skill set, you know, that that's definitely what you want to get a chance to work with uh, to help build on um, his strengths, you know, and make his weaknesses strengths, you know. So um, that's you know, just looking at some of those different things um, that, that we look at, you know, as a – as a group, and um, you know, definitely with Coach, you know, Coach Novell, you know, it's a lot of different things that we look at um, as far as you know, getting the opportunity to develop a young man. Right, and your the group that you have coming back this year, you you got a transfer, uh, Parsman from Kansas. You have Ontario Wilson returning from was a leading receiver last year, and then you have some young players. Like it seems like. You have maybe not someone who on paper is like the superstar player, but someone who you have a, like a great group and, and someone, a couple of people might emerge from that, from that group. Yes, sir. And, you know, right now we're going through the process and, you know, right now we, we got guys that's working, you know, right now there is no set, you know, depth chart of, you know, who's doing this or who's starting or whatever. Maybe everybody's competing for a position right now. And they, they all know that, you know, but I, I do love the room that I'm coaching because those guys, they come in, they're prepared, you know, in meetings and, you know, they're taking from the meetings to the, uh, from the classroom to the field, you know, to walkthroughs, you know, as, as well as our team periods, you know. So I'm excited, you know, and, you know, AP Andrew Park, he, he's done a, you know, good job of coming in and trying to soak things in. you got a, you know, a few veteran guys, and, you know, Keyshawn and uh, Pokey Wilson, that's, uh, that's, that's pressing well right now. And, you know, some of the young guys, you know, they're, they're, they're starting to be a little bit more consistent than they have in the past. You know, you got a couple of freshmen in Josh Burrell, Malik McLean, and, um, you know, you, you also have, um, you know, a few more of the young guys, you know, Kentron Portier and some other guys just, you know, stepping up and trying to be consistent, not only just make plays, but once you make a play, you know, make a play back-to-back, you know, so I, I can be the, the difference in being a good player opposed to a great player. You know, and that's what we're trying to get these guys to. Yeah, and then at quarterback, 
you do have exciting. I mean, you have Jordan Travis from last year who's coming back, but do you have Mackenzie Milton, the transfer from Central Florida, who you know everybody knows they had that great career and everything in his gum there. So, so it's a good competition and 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 exciting and 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 just seems to be that for each quarterback adds so much more. Travis's experience and coming back from in the program and Milton bringing what he brought from Central Florida in at quarterback. I tell you what, man. Outside of you know just this football itself. I mean, those those are those are some great young men, you know. And you know, Mackenzie, he's 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 brought a lot to the table, you know, as far as his leadership skills and what he does, you know, off the field and on the football field, you know. And I think that's helped Travis also, you know. Travis done an unbelievable job, you know. So it's been some competition uh, within that room, and you know, guys are pushing each other, you know, but not only pushing each other, but they're they're bringing the team closer together because they, the way they communicate, the way they care themselves. You know, and that, and that's you know uh, infectious to the team, and kind of you know it's contagious. You know, and a lot of the guys are seeing that, and you know it's exciting, man. You know, even with the coaches, you know those young men interact, interacting with a lot of the coaches, interacting with a lot of those guys also. You know, so I'm I'm excited about what what those guys bring to the table, and what they're doing for the team right now. And, and as the wide receiver coach, you know they're throwing to your guys. So you know there's there's pressure now for the wide receivers to develop. You have now experienced quarterbacks been in the game. Like you better catch the ball, or if you can't catch, we'll find someone else who's going to catch and, and make the plays because you because there's the expectations have been set higher, right? Yeah, right, right. And I tell them, man, I, I can't get out there and catch for you. You know, I'm not playing days <laughs> over with. You know, so. I mean, those guys, and they know they've just been an extra time, you know, in the offseason, you know, catching balls and tennis balls and footballs and, you know, and, and so on. And there's been competition, you know. And I played, you know, I played at Florida State and you know, Peter Ward and Laverne's Coast, all these different guys, you know, and Quan Boulder. You know, it's new business. You know, you, you drop a pass, you don't know when you're getting the next one. You know, so it's the same thing with, with, with our guys. You know, they know that. Uh, you get opportunity. You know, once that opportunity comes, you better take advantage of it because if you don't, the opportunity is going to be given to somebody else. You know, so just having the mindset and not necessarily call it is not, you know, pressure. Just do your job. You know, that that's the bottom line. You know, do what you're supposed to do and, you know, um, you know, just follow the protocol and, and uh, the technique and the fundamental how we approach the game as far as catching the football. And, Coach, what, you know, we keep hearing about this name, image, and likeness. And uh, some teams, teams, it's like, oh, it's going to drive the team apart, and it's this and that. How, how is it going at, at Florida State? I mean, how, are, how is your team in terms of working? Is, is it a distraction? Are the players doing it? How do you think it's, it's going? I mean, you've only been doing it for, I guess, a month or two. But in terms of, of this name, image, and likeness, what's happening uh, in Tallahassee with, with your players? All I know is every time I look on, uh, like something pops up on social media and you know, and endorsements and NL lives and all that stuff, different guys. And I'm like, wow, okay. He signed this or he's with this company now. He's with, I mean, it's it's going so fast and it's growing so quickly, you know, and you really got to keep an eye on it, you know, it'll, it'll pass you by, you know. So, but there's some great things going on here in Tallahassee. Um, a lot of people are getting involved with the NIL. And, um, you know, I'm excited for the young men that are, you know, having the opportunity to do autograph sessions and, you know, whether it's commercial or doing whatever it may be, you know, but just seeing those guys have an opportunity to, you know, put a little something in their pocket or to put some away. So once they graduate, you know, they'll have something, you know, set aside for them, you know, to start them off for the rest of, you know, the rest of their life, you know. So things are going good here with the NIL and Tallahassee, man, and we're all excited about it. 
Well, considering your schedule, you're going to be on national television against Notre Dame, North Carolina, the number 10, Clemson, Miami, Florida. I mean, it's, it's like every week. It's one of the greatest schedules I've ever seen from a team. But, uh, Ron, Coach Nugans, I really appreciate you coming on. But before you go, I, I know that you've been involved with uh, Don't Drive Drows- Drowsy Week in honor of your daughter. Um, and maybe tell, tell my listeners a little about what's your, your work with that and, 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 and certainly in memory of your daughter and all the work you've done about uh, keeping drivers alert. Yes, sir. And usually, you know, we have the Drowsy, drowsy Driving Awareness Week uh, in the state of Florida. Um, you know, it was, you know, Charlie Chris signed off on it. Um, a while back, and, and usually like the, the Labor Day week, uh, we try to have a, a drowsy driving awareness week. You know, uh, educating people that drowsy driving is, you know, is worse than drunk driving. You know, so you know, in the past, you know, few years, you know, we've gone to rest areas, um, different places, handing out coffee, uh, handing out brochures, those different things, just uh, awareing people, uh, educating people on on drowsy driving. You know, because it, it's it's dangerous. And a lot of people underestimate um, that while you're drowsy and driving, you know, you can hurt somebody. You know, it's like having my daughter, you know, the drowsy drives and, you know, she's not here anymore. You know, so we just want to help save lives, as many lives as we can, to alert people that, it, it, you know, drowsy driving is worse than drunk driving. And, you know, hopefully we can save some lives by doing it. Yeah, I mean it's important. If you're if you're if you're tired, just drive off and stop the road. Sleep, get some, get a nap. Don't, but don't drive. Certainly, that's and, and I I think it's a, you know a tremendous cause that you're pushing, and it's in honor of your daughter. Um, but anyway, I, I I really appreciate you. I know your time was tight, and I, I just so appreciate you coming on Iron Sports. And I wish you the best of luck uh, to the Seminoles this year and, and your wide receiving core and everything. And I, I'm just we're looking forward again. Last year was such a weird year, up and down, but this year seems like it's going to be great. And just pumped up for what's going to happen at Florida State. Yes, sir. We, we definitely appreciate that, and uh, we're excited about it. And go knows. Coach Ron Dugan's Thank here. Thank you very on, much. <laughs> Coach Ron Dugan's here on Ira on Sports. Great stuff from him. And uh, you're listening to Ira on Sports at 753. Just about seven minutes ago. Let's keep it in college football, Ira. So Miami comes out, and they, they're ranked pretty well. This is Manny Diaz's um, highest-ranked team so far in the preseason at number 14. They have to open up against Alabama. <laughs> it's just kind of unfortunate, but could you imagine if they came in and pulled off an upset? Well, I'm, it, well, I, I can't imagine it, but it's not going to happen. <laughs> I can imagine it because <laughs> Alabama is certainly not going to lose to to Miami. But you know, then they have Florida in two weeks after that. I mean, it is one of the. I think one of the things we talked about was that these teams in college football usually in September it's Cupcake City and this whatever. No, there are a lot of good games. There's a lot of conference games. I know Penn State. I, I tell people Penn State's playing Wisconsin on November 4th. They're like, what? Penn State mm-hmm. playing Wisconsin? Like, that's, that's an October game. No, that's in September. I mean, November. September 4th. I mean, you have Clemson plays Georgia. That's an enormous game. That's five versus three in two weeks, three weeks. I just We got Notre Dame. We just talked about Notre Dame, Florida State. It's like one game after another of these big, big games. Iowa State, Iowa on the 11th of, 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 of September. Uh, since... Yeah, there's a team like we talked about last year, Cincinnati. Cincinnati's ranked number eight. 
Last year, one of the biggest criticisms of them was, oh, where's their schedule? Where's the schedule? Well, now they're playing on the 18th at Indiana, and then on the sec two weeks later at Notre Dame. So we can see Desmond Ritter in these big games. This is where it is. And how about Ohio State is favored to win the Big Ten, Oregon's favored to win the Pac-10. They're playing on the 11th of September. Wow. I mean, all these great games. I'm pumped for college football. I just, I just bring it on right now. I can't wait for it. No, you're absolutely right. This is going to be one of the best seasons we've had in a long time, and it's good because, you know, after the debacle we've had throughout 2020, really looking forward to this. Let's talk a little NASCAR. Yeah, well, well, from NASCAR, it was one of the craziest Brickyard 200. They've had trouble in Indianapolis drawing. Like, the, the, for the Indianapolis 500, they're getting three, you know, we're getting two, three, four hundred thousand, one of the most watched, but they could not get the NASCAR crowd. So they decided to make it a road course. Um, and it was a complete disaster. <laughs> I watched part of the race. Um, there were 16 red cards, two red flags. At one point, this is what's so funny about it. The head of NASCAR, head of, head of Indianapolis 500, was in a suit trying to fix the course because the course was so messed up that they were crashing so much. It's like he ran out himself and was like moving around dividers, which looked like you're talking like maybe like your little course by your house like uh you know in the middle of nowhere and people pay five bucks to go race their cars so but uh, alman beggar won the race being ryan blaney he's his only win the second win on since 2014 and he only led like the last two laps because everybody else was crashed and, and out of the race what's going on in tennis well unfortunately Roger Federer looks like this could be the end. He's announced that he's having another knee surgery. He's 40 years old. Don't think he's going to come back. Um, last week, uh, Riley Alpeca, who we, who we saw him in Delray tournaments play great. He beat Titsipas in the semifinals. Then he goes to this, this tournament in, in Toronto, and uh, he, he made it to the finals against Medvedev and lost in the finals. But a great run for Apeka. I was waiting for him to do well in the Wimbledon, and he didn't really, you know, didn't really fire there. But Medvedev beat Hubert Hercos and Isner and Alpaca uh, for the title. I, there's a lot of people. Now we have this week, we have the Cincinnati tournament. Uh, Medvedev seated number one. The big match people are going to be excited about is I think it'll be Wednesday night. I'm not sure. I think it looks like Wednesday night from the schedule. Osaka versus Coco Golf on Wednesday night, which should be enormous to have Osaka, who since we saw her upset at in, in the Olympics, playing Coco Golf in, the, in a second round match. Remember, Coco is not really seated. She hasn't played enough tournaments to get seated, so she's playing and like she could play anybody. But that's from the Cincinnati, which is another Masters 1000, and then in two weeks. You know, I love the U.S. Open, so I'm excited to see Djokovic and Nadal. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they're going to play. Each one is battling injuries. And uh, but what I've been hearing a lot of people, I've been hearing like Macro talk about people like Hubert Hercos, who we had on our show as like one of those dark horse candidates uh, at the uh, at the U.S. Open because he played well in Delray. He played well at the won the Miami Open, won Delray, and had a nice run at Wimbledon. So people feel like he's someone who, if Medvedev or Tsitsipas doesn't do well at the Open, he's someone who could maybe get an upset. And uh, but you know, Joker picking the dollar and playing. So, Ira, uh, what's your plans for this week? Uh, I know you're heading back to Florida soon, but you've got the Red Sox in New York playing the Yankees. They're actually a doubleheader tomorrow. Nothing better than day baseball. So, uh, what's your plans? I cannot make that game. <laughs> I know it's tempting, but uh, but I think you know, I think it's only a seven inning game. It's weird how they're going to play yeah. that. But uh, no, I I don't I don't have any. We're getting ready. We're just getting ready for college football. I mean, I'm doing the plans for like when the ten, when the U.S. Open is going to be and which college football games and pro football games to start. So I don't know. This might be a light week, but I might catch a Yankee game maybe Thursday night. I'll go I'll go see one of those games. It's weird. They're playing the Yankees are playing the Angels tonight. This a one game series. Yeah, one makeup game, game. You know, where they came to makeup and then they go. So that's weird.
Yeah, a little bit weird. Uh, you got the twins coming into town on uh, on on Thursday, so that might be a decent uh, decent game to go to. Even though they kind of had that fire sale, it's not uh, what they were last year. What have you looked into? What have you looked into NCAA wise for football? I mean, I'm sure you make it to a lot of Penn State games. This probably takes a couple of weeks of planning. I think the question for me is: Do I go? I think do I go to Wisconsin, Penn State? Or do I go to Florida State, Notre Dame? And I have never been to Tallahassee for a game, and I'm tempted to go to that game because that would be cool to go drive up there for that game. So, And Wisconsin, it's hard to get to it. I, look, Penn State right now is ranked 19. I am not high on Penn State at all. Like, I have just, there's not, I, I mean, I just not, I think Wisconsin's going to kill them. So, <laughs> I, 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 part of me wants to go up to Tallahassee and see that game, uh, Florida State, Notre Dame, which I think is going to be just a, a great, I think, I, I like, I think some of these teams that last year played without fans and now the fans are back, you're going to see different teams. Like, teams like Florida State, had just a terrible year last year, but will be just a completely different team now with Mackenzie Milton, maybe a quarterback, uh, and, uh, and, and this returning wide receiver core that we just talked to Coach Dugans about and a better defense. So I'm excited about that. I might, that might be the game I go to. We are out of time. Thank you so much to Coach Dugans for coming on. He was great. We wish uh, FSU the best of luck. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Mike, one more, one more thing we're going to have next week. I just want to tell the oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff Scott, the coach, coach of South Florida, will be on, on. So we have we're interviewing him this week, but at the interview will air. So excited to have head coach Scott of the University of South Florida, which should have a really good team this year. Uh, so we have excited to have him going to be on the show next week. Great stuff on the horizon. Like I said, we're out of time. <laughs> we'll talk next Monday night at Zyron Sports.